Welcome to the Let's Develop podcast, a forum where we explore how to transform ourselves and the world around us through the art and science of performance and development. In each episode, we interview people from across Spaceship Earth who actively co-create preferred futures for themselves and the world around them by enacting development-driven approaches to social change. Today, I had the good fortune of speaking with Barbara Silverman and Susan Massad. These are wonderfully innovative people when it comes to social innovation. There's a foundational belief that health is an individual activity. It's my health, mine, 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 mine. And the invitation that they offer is how can we build health together and seeing health as a social activity and health as an ongoing activity, not just acute episodes of illness. This conversation was inspiring and maybe even somewhat provocative. Join us. Barbara, Susan, hi. Hi. Hi, Art. Hi, Susan. Hi, Hi, Barbara. This is really cool because this is our first three-way conversation on the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm humbled to be having it, Barbara, with yourself because we go way back and Susan, yourself because of your experience in this field over many decades. Mm-hmm. We want to get to know a little bit about you. Barbara, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well... I, as you know, am a longtime practicing social therapist and a licensed clinical social worker. And I've been practicing social therapy for over 35 years and was very interested um, prior to meeting Susan, Lois, and Fred. I was... um, had two experiences that really left me clamoring for something that could, where you could talk, a context where you could talk about people's emotionality and their physical pain as well. And that I hadn't found that. (laughs) So I was kind of looking for that. And when I was younger myself, I was taking an abnormal psych course. At the same time, I was going through um, and a kind of um, bursitis in the hip was what it was diagnosed as. And um, when I was studying abnormal psych at the same time, I was reading about different things and felt like every chapter had some diagnosis that I felt like I fit in. <laughs> and, and, and though there were one or two that really talked about the, the fact that you could have a physical pain that is expressed not just physically, but emotionally. And I was curious to learn more about that. Mm. So um, that was one burning question in my life. And then with clients, people would come in and and talk about um, 
you know, their physical health or their pain or their emotional pain, but you could, it was hard to, to not have people separate these two and to be able to question the, the fact that these things were, uh, not talked about in a dialectical relationship, but rather as separate systems that had nothing to do with one another. So I was very interested in that. Um, that's, I'll just stop there, Art, because I'm not sure what else to give you at this point. <laughs> Susan, how about, how about yourself? Well, <laughs> I, uh, um, I, I think my bio says I, I was a practicing physician, clinical educator in general internal medicine for 50 years mm. and now retired for five or six years. Mm. And I was just, I've been doing some writing because I'm retired and it's kind of fun to do. And uh, so it sort of makes you think about these things. And I realized I just didn't come to this idea of a social collective way of doing health, you know, out of the blue, <laughs> that I was, well, my, I'm from a leftist family, so I knew a lot about some of the social experiments that were going on in the Soviet Union and Cuba and China, and uh, so those were very much a part of my upbringing. But also, I went to medical school in the early 60s, and then I joined the faculty of my alma mater, the University of California in San Francisco. And it was just a time of incredible ferment in medicine, and a lot of the movement came out of community voices, the black liberation struggles, the women's movement, the gay and lesbian health you know, movement, the, um, the young lords were kind of demanding a new kind of medicine for a, uh, for, you know, a, a different clientele, different people that the kind of white male doctor just wasn't who they could relate to and were, you know, the empowerment movements were saying we wanted something else and often started their own health clinics. So I think that brought me very much into the, a kind of a, uh, and I was right teaching in that. I brought students to those clinics and was just very aware of what the impact of patient empowerment on people's health was. You know, that if people were more activistic around their health, they were healthier <laughs> individually. So I became very interested in that. And then I think the other kind of very important event in my life was meeting uh, the, about halfway through my career, I would say, meeting the Eastside Institute. And I had moved from California to New York and learning about social therapy and something about the activity of group building and that is in the process of building the group that people develop not you know kind of as isolated and as i was finding a lot of frustration with the office environment where it was just me and the patient and as nice as i could be and responsive to the patients i could be i just didn't feel like we were we could really transform how they were doing their health and give them more empowerment around that. So I, I think those two things really had a big impact on me, but I, I came to this, this life or this, this activity as a physician a lot from my early experiences. Yeah. Mm. 
and, I probably and, wouldn't have been so open to social therapy <laughs> the approach. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, at what point did Barbara and Susan, you create your group of two? You mean that the, the, Barbara and I? Yes. <laughs> Barbara, well, you yeah. Um, I guess I met the Eastside Institute, um, Susan, Fred, Lois, in the early 80s, like around 1981. And I was searching, at that point I was in a crossroads of my career, early social worker, early out of school, but a longtime group worker. That I started doing group work many, many years before I went to social work school. And um, I knew I wanted to be uh, community organizing and doing group work or group therapy. It was called group work then. I consider myself a group therapist at this point. And um, I was at a crossroads and found out about the Eastside Institute and also had um, a knee, had had knee surgery a couple years before that. So was very interested in learning about health and what this community was doing, both around mental health, group building, group therapy, community organizing. And in the course of that, I met Susan early on, and I decided to, people in the community who saw her as their doctor really, you know, embraced her and I went to see her and proceeded to follow her around from clinic to clinic until she cut down her practice and retired. Mm -hmm. But in that process, I went to uh, one of the years Susan was building the Healthy Bronx and the Healthy Harlem Club, which she can tell you more about. And um, I went to see her and she was uh, experimenting with having a group intake, uh, what I call a group intake. So I went to Harlem and I went and she was doing this group of, of asking people how come they were there and people were chatting and talking and the group itself was giving um, their own expertise, their ordinary, um, you know, and extraordinary experiences with their own health and creating that. And I thought, Susan, this experiment I wanted to bring to the teen clinic at Erasmus where I was working, which was a teen medical clinic. Also, I directed the mental health services. So um, that's what, and then uh, several years ago, I guess as Susan was retiring and also I approached her and I said, you know, by that time, Susan had done many, many health teams. I had had a health team. We both have had health teams. We've been on many health teams. And as you know, Art, from mm -hmm. being in developing across borders, mm -hmm. global therapy at that time, I sent you the paper. I said, Art, take a look at this. I think this could be helpful to you. But I approached Susan and I said, I was very interested. She was working on something else at the time of her writing something about health teams. Hmm. And I, I continued to talk to her about that. Hmm. And so 
here we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here we are, writing and talking. Right? <laughs> writing and talking. That's kind of my memory, Susan. I what? Well, I, I think that's, that's a pretty good <laughs> description of it. There were probably many ways we interfaced. I was thinking as you were talking, Barbara, that one of the um, elements of this work, the health team work, mm-hmm. uh, that I think is we don't address as much in the paper, but I think it's it's very much a part of how this work is developed, is Newman himself, uh, who was a founder of social therapy, was my patient. He and I did a lot of you know conversations and work on that. And the social therapy groups, in addition to the 33 groups that we could remember <laughs> that were <laughs> that we did, uh, at, at, we are officially called health team groups. There was a lot, a lot of work being done in social therapy groups, like Barbara's yeah. work with her, with you guys in um, developing across borders. That in, and that was also true of Newman's practice. So I think that it was for me. Uh, I love, you know, embrace social therapy, but I'm not a social therapist. And I think it's the work has been, you know, kind of uh, enhanced by having that combination. And Barbara mm-hmm. stepped up to be that person mm-hmm. uh, to work with me on it. Mm. It's really neat. And, and I feel like if we had unlimited time, we would delve right into social therapy and the practice method, right? Um, yeah. Let's let's steer into uh, health teams and and play around with that a bit. What is a health team? I'll take a stab because <laughs> uh, much of this is not definitional, and I think we're always struggling with that in terms of talking about it because uh, uh, it's at a point where we could we could write a manual you know <laughs> for it and and I don't I think the, you get closer to that and you say no we're not we're not we're not there yet or do we ever want to be there yet mm-hmm. so that's my proviso about talking about what it is it is a um, self-organized grouping of people mostly friends, colleagues, uh, family members, uh, um, health professionals who a patient has brought together to share, collectivize, socialize their health issues. And generally, I would say that people are who who are motivated to do that and Barbara and I at some point they'll call on Barbara and I to and we'll suggest that they do that or they've heard it from a friend and say I want to do that uh, would advise it have chronic or uh, a serious illness yeah what's so, an example of a chronic or serious illness well I think there's two two the two cases that we presented in the paper that are in data one uh, of the uh, patients who I was a consult on I was not the per- the immediate doctor was uh, was uh, in the paper DC <laughs> had a a heart failure which is a serious ongoing condition and had has many complications that go with that but coronary artery disease had had a uh, if you want to call it bypass, and then develop failure again, and so he's his his 
illness is serious, life-threatening, and ongoing. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be something he's going to be struggling with all his life, or living with, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally have cancer of <laughs> the breast that recurred, and I have a health team and people who work with me and then their grouping of friends mainly that I have I'm very close to and they you know was initially started when my cancer which seemed to have been completely cleared came back as a bone metastasis and so we started meeting and then over the three or four years since we did that it's become a general health conversation for everybody who's mm -hmm. on the team and that's you know it's and a lot of the teams will say that's that happens in the, the course mm -hmm. of, if you if you meet there's no length of time like one colleague that we wrote about that who didn't talk about in the paper he needed a a a help with a ask me and some friends to help him with a decision about whether he should join a clinical trial for treatment of his myeloma for example that was and we we did, we talked about that we researched it we talked about for him whether that was the best thing and then the health team was disbanded because he said i i don't really need the rep, more ongoing support mm -hmm. so it's it's got very different sort of way ways but i think mostly it's socializing your your health and allowing your team to take take it on take responsibility for it whether it's short term or long term, which I which I think is very challenging, both for the team and the person, mm -hmm. who um, you know, because I think when people come in, decide they there's a choosing, there's the considering, do I want a health team? This is available to me. Would I want to do this? Am I really willing to socialize my health? Mm -hmm. my pain, my emotionality around this. And the people that choose yes, <laughs> then then the work be begins. And the I think the challenge to that, and we can find out that while, in fact, people bring their pain to the team, their pain, their fears, their decisions, their hopes, their you know, whatever it is, um, it's, we find that sometimes people will keep, will say, oh, yes, okay, well, we can talk about this. No, no, not, not that, that I am, that, that's mine. And I think it's, um, you know, in the case of DC, who Susan was speaking about, the issue of yes, he you know you know did this activity, but had lots of difficulties drawing the line when the team wanted to get their hands on how he made decisions about his work because he was worked all the time. It was so uh, precious and key to him and needed. His work was sorely needed, but it was like a struggle for the team and for him to socialize that as well. And I think that, you know, to the team, the team is um, how, do we, how do we all do this together? What does this look like? Um, 
And in each situation, there are some similarities and some particulars. What's, uh, what's something that's similar across teams that you've seen? Well, I think Susan mentioned the struggle about, um, on the one hand, embracing let's do this collectively and the, the what it means to do that and to consider how's the team doing, what do we need to all to develop the team, the team, the team's capacity, the team's emotional development, the, the you know, what are the, what, what kinds of questions do we need to be asking? So philosophical questions. What does it take to create this? What's it take for a group of people to weigh in on a decision like Susan was saying, should I uh, take part of this clinical trial or this doctor's ordering me a test? I don't know if I want to do that. There's a lot of responsibility and the, I guess, learning how to do that and creating how to do that together. What's the, go ahead, Susan. Well, I was going to say, uh, I think there's a couple of, Barbara's, what Barbara talked about is certainly key to all the teams. I think there's a, a, a number of themes, as it were, that seem to arise. And one that I think is, I'm learning is very important is, you know, the, how does the, the, the how, what, what do people need to be able to interact with the medical care system? whether it's their individual physician, whether it's the hospital bureaucracy, whether it's what do you need if you're, you know, going into surgery. And that that, that kind of interface is, uh, I think, often very fraught. And it's very fraught in the U.S. healthcare system particularly because... What, is it, what does it mean for it to be fraught? Fraught, it's... The, the electronic medical record has, you know, this is comes up all the time. I, I, my doctor didn't listen to me. They didn't hear me. They didn't. They they had their back to me all the time. Uh, it, even before the electronic medical record, though, people were. That's just kind of a little bit of a red herring because people complain that they're not listened to, and so what their needs and wants are, are not heard and responded to. And so people often, like I just went with a friend who doesn't have a health team, but I'm his support person. When he goes to the oncologist, he just couldn't, he was ready to say, fuck it, I'm going away. I'm not gonna take any of this because he just didn't like the way the medical assistants talked to him. So, <laughs> you know, so these are some of the, the, yeah. the ways that the bureaucracy is getting your appointment, getting into the system, getting the information you need. So to do that with collectively, so with the teams, we often talk about the visit beforehand. What do we want to know? What's your performance going to be? Because what, our what performance what, can yeah. have a, a, an enormous impact. That's where it helps for me to be the doctor, because I know if somebody comes in, and the first thing they say is, I hate doctors. And my feeling is, well, why are you here? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. I mean, there's certain things that we can do better as clients mm -hmm. that impact on the conversation. This, mm -hmm. our, you know, the performance is just not neutral. Now, I, I think to, to be able to say, I, I have something to say here, uh, doctor, or <laughs> about... Um, my concern about my pain that you're ignoring, you get some attention. 
you know, you have to, you ha there's a certain performance, I think, that we can support people to do. And also, nobody goes to the doctor alone. Nobody enters that system alone, because it's a very, very powerful, you know, you go here, you go here, and go there, go there. It It's frustrating. And so mm -hmm. we, we, we sort of help people to create a whole new performance of getting their health. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So you shared with us loosely what a health team is, mm -hmm. a little bit of what they look like and what value they add to people who create these teams. What impacts have you seen health teams have on the individual around whom the health team is created and for the participants of the health team? Well, Art, I don't know if this is a mo moment to ask you about your own experience setting up a health team off of reading, you know, doing some work with me and our group and then reading the, the draft of the paper, which we had, and then you putting together something that was going to support you. So I didn't want to leave, I don't want to leave out the fact that Susan and I have coached many teams, had teams, have teams that we work on and that you did also. Mm -hmm. So I want to both bring you in as the interviewer, but also ask you if you want to share something, because I think you have something that you might want to add to that question. Of course. Of course. No, I, I appreciate being invited in uh, to offer oh, the impacts that I had. So for context, about a, a little less than a year ago, I, was, it, I wasn't in optimal health. And it was a place of trying to figure out how to move forward, uh, how, to, how to feel supported in that journey. And um, the impacts for me were, first of all, the, the activity itself of <clears throat> um, creating a health team, I feel diverts one's attention from the pain that's there, uh, from the difficulty of navigating the experience. So I think in some ways it helps you get out of your own head, right? That's foundational. Now, the experience of being in the health team. So I had, um, I think, around three, four people with me having these conversations for a few months. Um, we spoke um, over um, Skype or Zoom um, or Facebook call. We spoke um, maybe once a week, uh, once every two weeks. And we had ongoing conversation through uh, text messaging as a group. And it was, it was a place where I could um, ask for feedback because I came from a place of acknowledging that I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And I wanted help from the team in pointing out um, directions that we could take our curiosity around my experience around next steps, uh, around the journey. 
It was also a place of validation so to be told um, by a group of people who care for me that, hey, you know what, uh, you're doing everything right. You know, like even something like that, right? At a place where it may not have felt that way for me, right? Um, and it also helped me not feel alone in the experience. So there's something about being in pain, uh, being in uh, feeling trapped with with pain, uh, whether it's physical or emotional or uh, social, where I, I, f- I feel like often folks really pull into themselves. They get into their own heads and hearts, right? <laughs> and bodies. They really get sucked right into that. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, that is at times a downward cycle. So folks will uh, retreat into themselves as a way of protecting themselves, right? It's what they yeah. best know how to do at the moment. Mm-hmm. And doing that itself uh, pulls them away from the world around them, which is partly what I think we need to heal, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, it could have that effect of being a downward spiral. And so the team was an antidote, um, to use Carl Tom's language, um, was a, an antidote to me being pulled in further to myself in a space mm-hmm. where I really spent a lot of time there, right? Yeah. So what was the impact for the team members? Well, uh, I felt like through that experience, my relationships strongly deepened with those people, with the, with the folks that were in my health team in a way that like accelerated building bonds, it, you know, because there's nothing like, um, you know, spending an hour or so talking about the deep shit, the pain, the hurt, the uh, ambiguity, the chaos, right? The um, navigating the system and the alternatives in the system or even outside the system, right? And to be witnessed and seen in uh, a space that we created to be safe, right? Uh, safe for me doesn't mean that you don't challenge one another or, you know, tell each other that you think you're being an asshole, right? Um, and, and everyone has their own definition of safe space. But um, to be seen and witnessed and heard and appreciated and challenged um, uh, helped me feel like this was not just mine to carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the experience that I was going through. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I mean, here I am, I, you know, almost a year later in a far better place. Could I attribute it to the health team causally? Well, probably not. It would be irresponsible of me to do that. Um, can I say it had a strong impact on me? Do I feel that from a narrative perspective? Yeah, I very much so do. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about what, it, you know, both looked like and felt like for me. Um, is that, does that resonate, Susan, Barbara, with uh, some of what you've seen in health teams? I, I, I think so. In, I was nodding my head because I think that tendency, I mean, you were talking about yourself, it, to go inside is a lot of what people do with illness. There's a certain amount of humiliation. There's a, you know, that animal tendency to back away and lick your wounds, you know, yourself. I, I mean, 
my dog does it when he's <laughs> upset. No, I, I mean, I think there's something very instinctual about that. But it is a very, very, um, and then it really just limits you. And you're, you're kind of in your head often about that. And so I think one of the developmental aspects of this work for people is to be able to give to others, to create a different kind of performance of giving. I know my own self, I didn't want to give very, you know, if I was in bother or in pain or, you know, I was kind of a very independent person. So I, I would say, well, I don't really, I, I remember talking about it in a group one time. I, I, I don't really want to bother people with this because I know they'll worry and, you know, I'm the doctor. I'm, you know, I, I'm the one that sues people. Anyway, I had a whole, I had a whole system. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I was really challenged that uh, mm -hmm. that wasn't very giving of me, that it yeah. wasn't very giving of me to my friends, the people that cared about me to just sort of keep this sort of to myself and not let them then give to me. So I, so I think that is a, something that I, you see a lot of people that the both particularly uh, uh, DC with who had a heart problem he, you know he was a caretaker for a very sick family for many years he was the strong guy he was the one so he had to kind of change his whole framework about accepting help letting people in letting people help him and uh, this went spilled over into his work with the nonprofit in the sense that he's become a much better leader in that he can let other people do a lot of the support work that he felt he had to do before. You know, I mean, he's been able to let people give to him in that in, in much broader ways. So I think that's a very, very important kind of thing you're talking about because I think that the, the health teams really challenge this whole idea that it's, and challenge it as my illness, mm -hmm. uh, Part of that is not doing it alone. Yeah, and that, that's, that's, I think, what's the new performance, as it were. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just thinking also, um, it's a revelation to people, myself included, you know, that um, Health is a social activity, a social and relational activity. Wait, wait, Barbara, you're, you're telling me that my health <laughs> is not just the combination of my meditation, sleep practices, <laughs> and taking of supplements? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think we, we all get socialized to think that, you know, my pain, <laughs> are you, you're a little frozen, Susan. Oh, there. I know. Just, <laughs> okay. whatever. Okay, yeah. That, um, yeah, that we think health is in some other private category or, you know, with the medical institution that we have to deal with. So I think what you said and Susan spoke to is really important that people have other people when you when you collectivize or socialize your health the shape of the pain the color of it you know the location of it your relationship to it changes 
it changes and it isn't it doesn't the the my pain um that when the group gets our hands on that with each other we have possibilities to to create ways of doing our health that are beyond what we know and what we're familiar with um you know and that goes for our emotionality that goes right along with that so i'm i'm just thinking that it's so important for people to have that experience hmm. something provocative about uh, maybe provocative i mean it's it's almost like uh, self-explanatory when you think about it the particular way that health is a social activity right but something provocative about that from a you know like in maybe new age perspective right where um or or even medical perspective where you know here take this pill do this activity right then you will get better and and that's some you know it's factual that sometimes work, you know, if under certain conditions you do particular kinds of exercises that are appropriate for your body, whatever, you will feel better maybe, right? Um, but but there's an element there that is um, part of maybe even the pain that we feel in society today, which is that loneliness, that isolation from others, right? And to me, health teams are kind of a radical antidote to the way that we've organized healthcare, the way that we've organized well-being as a whole. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just makes sense to me. That being said, though, I, you know, I recognize that I come from a particular place where I have hung out with folks like yourselves for... Um, uh, a while now, <laughs> four, yeah. four, four years now, um, and and in those four years, I've um, seen the performance of you know socializing one's experiences and um, honing in on uh, group development uh, and engaging in that. Right, I, I think to folks who listen to this, who may not have come across this way of thinking this way of doing, right? And those are both people who are patients and also providers of um, uh, health and healing, right? Mm-hmm. From physicians to psychotherapists to coaches and, you know. Uh, and I, and this is something that I've struggled with in that um, a health team is has a cultural element to it, right? Like, so, so you know, if one, one of the three of us were to create a health team, we already invite a particular kind of performance that we're um, anticipating and that we're, we'll build with, right? How, what are some things that we can invite folks who are listening to this to think about for them to explore creating a health team together? What are some of the struggles that they'll experience? Um, and yeah, let's go with those two questions. Well, I, I, I don't know if it's, this isn't a direct answer to what you're saying. It made me think about how we 
undervalue experience versus procedure, if you want to call it, in terms of uh, health and healing. And that your experiences of all kinds, to me, have as much to do with your improvement in, you know, improving health, if you want to, as it does whether you take the pill. That's pretty radical, I think. And it doesn't mean I'm against Western medicine or I'm an anti-Western medicine person or anti-pharmacologicals, because I think those things are enormously valuable at times. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess in the spirit of him is how you take them. You know, what's the spirit you take them? Mm-hmm. In what spirit do you take them? In what spirit do you do a lot of the things you do? In terms of I can do this in the service of being empowered, if you want to call it, improving my health. So I meditate. I, I am active in a health team. I take, um, you know, penicillin today. Those things are, are are all of, it seems to me, of value mm-hmm. that we need to appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's hard for people to see that. Yeah. Our, our social cultural activity is as valuable as the individual activity of taking that pill, which is not individual at all. It's very socially produced. <laughs> but I think that there is that, 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 kind of undervaluing of, as we say, your, the experience, your life experience, your experience of illness, your experience of wellness, all of that, and what you're doing about it. I, I just heard, read this book by a, a guy who, who had leukemia, and he, over the last 20 years, has been doing his own research, and a lot of it is is outside of the medical model but he's in he's been in remission now for a very very long time and he was quoting some study that showed that or some doctor that said you know there's a lot of evidence that people who are doing who are more activistically engaged in creating their health regimens you know i'm going to do this and that uh are have better results across the board it doesn't matter what they're doing you know you could say well it's meditation but their their feeling was is it's your engagement in the process of creating health i think that is produces health mm-hmm. and i i don't think that's an abstraction but i guess for a lot of people it it, it is mm-hmm. question maybe to mm-hmm. poke around with that i mean to what extent is it the case that the people who are more engaged are the same people um who would have better health outcomes. Do you know what I mean? So like it's uh, correlation does not imply causation. And the reason that I'm thinking about that is because, you know, for folks who don't inherently want to necessarily engage, but they want to have a health team, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. What can they do to get started? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Barbara, what are your thoughts? thoughts how can people get started with creating a health team who are the people they should think about what are some of the things they could do or discuss or you know explore well number one they could get in touch with susan and me to learn more about this to and to consider what would be involved 
to do something like this. And I think it's important to learn something about the methodology that we used. Um, and the importance of people working together to create something that is a social cultural activity. We're calling it the health team. <clears throat> so that's one thing people could do. And they could think about, as you did, you know, or I have, what, what colleagues, friends, relatives, doctors would I invite to my team? And um, I think there's, some, there's also something, Art, I think that's involved in this, and this is perhaps a departure. I don't think it's so easy for people to ask each other for help. Mm. And we probably all have the things that we are acceptable to us to ask for help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are other things that we would not be caught dead asking for help. Like it's, it's um, I remember for myself um, when colleagues were saying to me, why don't you have a health team? I, although I had been on health teams, I really embraced them. Mm. That with the, that whole beginning of it, of asking people to help me with this and, and come into this activity with me, it was very difficult. And I'm somebody as is Susan, but as a therapist, I teach and work with people on learning how to ask for help. But I found it very difficult for myself in this particular area. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, you know, I don't think it's just, oh, gee, this sounds like a nice idea. I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, just put this together and give it a go. I, I think it's more complex than that. I don't know, Susan, if you have something you want to add to that. Well, I, I, think, I think that that's kind of what we're exploring right now, too, uh, uh, is, is how complex is that? Is there things like, uh, is, if, if you, somebody who listened to this podcast <laughs> wrote in and said, well, I, I want to do this <laughs> in, in Ontario. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and uh, I mean, what would you say? Well, I, I think that's what I would say is to something, well, well, if you don't want to do it, do you want to do it with friends or alone or who you got around you? Like who did you invite to do this with you? and then begin to sort of create what that might look like. Would it mean that your friend, your team, somebody from your team is going to the doctor with you? Would it mean that you, this grouping of friends is working with you and helping to do research and then sitting down with you and talking through what your medical decision is going to be made? If, if you have a decision to be made, you know, that it's a decision specific. Uh, what would it mean to ask your doctor to invite two or three of people to come with you when there's a big decision to be made? Like that's, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, that transforms everything. And so mm -hmm. we're 
mm-hmm. what how would that how would that uh, impact on the long term or ongoing health of that person or, and the people that are doing it together. But they say, wow, this transformed this thing. I'm gonna, I had this experience and the reason I'm, I'm talking about just the small things that might be lead to a, to, a, to a change is somebody in my social therapy group where I'm a patient, he's a patient, uh, was t- just talking. He was a pretty you know, typical guy. He was not gonna talk to anybody about the fact that he'd had a lung biopsy. And they said it's a 50-50% chance that this might be cancer. And he was going to get the biopsy report the next day of the lung biopsy. But he hadn't talked to his kids. He hadn't talked to his family. He hadn't talked to anybody. And he finally talked to people in his social therapy group because he says, I feel obligated to tell you because you're supposed to do this. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't that he was dying to talk to us about it. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I piped up immediately. Wait, you plan to go to the doctor alone tomorrow to get that result? <laughs> he says, yeah, that's right. Of course, I would, I would want to go over and do that. And I said, I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> it was really interesting. And, we, you know, we sort of talked about when the appointment was and where it was. So I said, well, I can go with you. You know, I don't think you should go alone. So that experience was, he turns out, it was cancer. And there were a lot of decisions to make. But he, it just transformed everything. The fact that he and I did that visit together, I think. He... He, you know, we talked a little bit about how he's going to talk to his son and, you know, and he comes in the next week and he says, well, I've got my chest mates. They're going to all be part of my team. My son has said, whatever you want to do, I got, you know, I'm talking to my sister who's going to help me talk to my mother next week. You know, it just really, it, it was such a, an amazing turnaround mm. on his part to do this socially. Now, I, I don't think that happens to everybody, but I think people underestimate the impact of doing these small things and how it affects their experience in a way that, um, you know, I mean, the health team, when we used to do groups, you know, I think like Barbara said, it it really affected her, transformed how she thought about this. Not that I don't think anything amazing happened in those groups. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) talked at once a lot. But it it was a sort of a oh I could do this different. It's a different performance. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I just uh, so that's kind of where I'm also thinking if you know we'd like to present this, get this approach out, and have people talking about it and thinking about it at conferences on this kind of podcast, and because it is pretty radical. It's mm-hmm. you think it's simple, but it it isn't. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what's what's interesting, Susan, in 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 what you just offered is the is how you simplified it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, um, yes, we can think about health teams as this um, uh, uh, socio cultural historical activity that has particular nuances and ways of being in the world. Yes, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That is exceptionally out of reach for a lot of people and we will never, I think, this is radical maybe, I don't think we'll ever reach everybody. But we want as many people as possible to live together, to live communally and to have good lives. So for me, uh, and 
let me know what you think after this. I'd like to offer people an invitation to just think to themselves, who mm -hmm. can they bring with them? Something as simple as who can they bring with them to an appointment? I, I don't ask my physicians. I just bring my partner or my friend to physician's mm -hmm. appointments, right? Because it, it transforms the experience for me. If nothing less than to literally just have somebody sit there and write things down. Yeah. The massive loss of data or information that comes with having this kind of conversation. You can't remember all of it. Some of it might be crucial, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, who can you have come with you is something that I think about, right? Mm -hmm. um, who can you uh, shoot the shit with about what's going on, right? Um, and who can you have with you when you're yeah. making decisions? It's just amazing what people can think, come up with in the way of other ways of thinking about doing it, other avenues of exploring. Do we have to do this now? You know, like if, if somebody's being told to get an MRI, which is a, it's a big deal test, you know, then I, I think the health team or a grouping of people can come up with lots and lots of interesting other ways to get this information than doing the MRI of your head, which is scary and all kinds of things. And I'm not saying that the MRI couldn't be helpful and valuable, but I think the process of deciding whether you're going to do that is very, very important and impactful on what that experience is like. Mm -hmm. So it, it, if, you've, if you've gone through, if you've done work with other people and you've talked it through, I think it's a, it's a different experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's one before we finish off, there's one critique that I've heard to this approach. And the critique is, are we not essentially uh, um, taking away people's uh, agency? Autonomy. <laughs> Autonomy. Are we not creating um, uh, for lack of better words, just, no, I'm not going to say it. And we're not creating wimps, people who can't stand on their own type thing, right? What would you say to somebody that went like, you know what? No, I can make my own decisions and my own. I mean. I would ask them, how's that going for them? <laughs> how's that experience of making your own decisions relative to what treatment you're going to pursue um, your doctor saying the example that Susan said, the MRI. So um, am I, how am I, how am I Googling online and looking up MRIs and positives and negatives? What, how am I doing that? Like, how is it going? Mm -hmm. Most of us, most of us dealing with these kinds of medical issues um, and the medical system here, particularly in the U.S., um, very quickly, either, you know, just, it, it, it's so daunting and challenging that I think that's important to consider. I would ask, well, how's that going? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's usually, I think, when people get a new diagnosis or have something and have gone to the doctor and then find out it's more involved or don't get any answer, I don't know what it is, oh, it could be this, it could, you know, I, I, I just over, 
35 years of doing it this way, um, I wouldn't trade that in. That's personally, but yeah, I, th I think we don't, we don't, um, I don't think it's an approach that robs people of agency. I think mm -hmm. it actually empowers people. Well, I was thinking that just this, this right, you know, 2018, we have more access to medical information, if you want to call it, that, you know, through the internet and, and uh, you know, helplines and through the popular press and magazine. I mean, everybody's, everybody is giving you information. And it doesn't seem to me it's impacted one bit about how people feel, if you want to use the word empowered, that they have any more control or autonomy in their, in their yeah. medical care than they did 25 years ago. You know, this, the, the stories and complaints and stuff are slightly different, but not not really and so we're i think we're talking about something else which is that how we do this stinks in you know <laughs> the whole system how how we expect patients to come in and give their complaint and then you're the expert and you tell them what to do and that's it decision making is a I just was at a wonderful workshop this morning with uh, two Eastside Institute colleagues gave called Decisions Decisions. So kind of on that is that there it's so much more interesting and complex process that of who you are, your subjectivity, who your posse is, who who else is talking to you. Um, and rightly so. Those things are very important to be put into the decision making process. And so autonomy, individual autonomy, is kind of a myth. I think people, you know, <laughs> as Barbara said, it's not going very well, <laughs> that myth. Yeah. For me, the next layer up from health teams, uh, and something that I think may be interesting for folks to think about too, is if you're not in ill health, then a health team could help you become more optimal if we want to use 2018 biohacking languages or languaging. It can help you become more optimal to make better decisions about how to perform, how to be your best, and how to contribute best to those around you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that one of the things that when you ask us how have people on the health teams, how has it changed for them? I think it and it changes for everybody is to, I don't know, because it's an ongoing conversational process, I think it sort of takes you away from the acute episode or the episodic nature of the way people think of health and illness, mm. of mm. sick and well, sick well. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but to, to just appreciate and to practice is it's, it's a continuous ongoing practice. And that includes those activities of being healthy. You know, it's mm. a continuum and mm. not so mm -hmm. much episodic. And if yeah. we see it that way, like in our health team meeting, that's a lot we talk about. You know, what are people doing as their daily practices right. that impact? 
Yeah. We're, we're really good at uh, acute care. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Crisis. If I if I break a rib or an arm, I want to go to the hospital uh-huh. right then. Right. We're good at that. Get, and get fixed up. Yeah. Know, get fixed I just up. Be fixed yeah. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Barbara, anything to add? No, I don't think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. So last question for the both of you. Who are you becoming? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Who are we becoming? Well, I, th- I think I, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm becoming a much better health slash healthcare organizer, then I, you know, I'm developing more as that than I was as a individual healer. Mm-hmm. I feel more that that's what, I, my, what I'm doing and what I'm kind of committed to is how to be a health, health organizer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm I'm becoming um, kind of growing into and becoming an international community organizer of emotional growth, emotional and uh, emotional growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think interested in um, you know. Consumer empowerment, which Susan has been leading the way for a long, long time in health, off of her work with Fred. I just, I, I think um, people being involved in creating their health, their group, their community, their, their mental health, whatever it is, their projects, I'm, I want to, you know, support and lead that activity. Of that's super cool. It's been an honor. The Let's Develop podcast is co created by Chris Raymond, executive producer, Marla Zano, producer and digital editor, and yours truly, Artisoyans, host and producer. Music by Chris Raymond, digital content by Emily Scollin. Special thanks to Brittany Fraser, Jan Wooden, Saeed Raju, and the Eastside Institute. You can find out more about the Eastside Institute at eastsideinstitute.org.